Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. Nice job on that opening read again. You know, you're just you think, cruising through that. Like yeah, you, after after 130 times of saying it, it, <laughs> it starts to roll off the tongue a little bit. Uh, first off, congratulations on surviving another Door County Fourth of July. Uh, pretty wild. Uh, I don't know how out and about in the county you were, but I... I was actually gone, so... Oh, you... That's how you did it. All right, <laughs> yeah. that makes sense. Because you came in fresh on Monday, like, hey, what's up, everybody? Yeah, and yeah. we were all like, oh, Miles. It, it was actually the first 4th of July that I have. So I'm in my 40th year. I have spent 35 4th of Julys in Door County, and five of them at my wife's hometown in Tower Lakes outside, which is another, like, small town 4th of July. So I have... Never spent a 4th of July, like, outside of a small town until this year. We were out in San Francisco visiting family. And uh, it's just, it's like I wrote last week, it's best enjoyed in a small town. Would you would you consider the Door County 4th of July celebrations to be small town, considering how packed the county gets? I would, yeah. I mean, I have been through, like, a Memorial Day celebration in, like, a really small town where it was like, wow, there's a little parade for 19 people here. That's pretty weird. So Door County, I guess, isn't that tiny-esque, but, you know, it's it's perfect where it's like all your friends and so many people come home for it. It's, it really does seem like a homecoming type thing. I was able to stop in Bailey's Harbor. I had to run an errand, and I saw Dave Elliott up on the roof, and he accosted me with his microphone. <laughs> so uh, felt like a real 4th of July once you have that happen. It might be Dave's favorite day of, it, day of the year. It seems like Sitting it. He's having a good time. Man in the mic and ripping on people. Well, why don't we jump into the news? We have a couple of interesting stories to talk about this year. Uh, first one, the premier area resort tax in Sturgeon Bay, which had uh, they had hoped to have included in the state budget to fund the street repairs and stuff, did not get approved. So what the, the premier resort area tax, or Pratt for short, is would have been a half percent sales tax added on to most goods, not like cars and, and certain big ticket items, but most consumer goods, and that would have raised about $800,000 a year for Sturgeon Bay roads. If anybody who's driven around Sturgeon Bay a lot in the last few years, the roads in many areas are really, really crumbling. Um, they have they are on a, what they call like a, a 55 to 60 year replacement level for their roads. Ideally, engineers would like that to be in the 20 to 30 year range. Um, they want to at least cut it down to below 30, and they don't have the money to do it. So they tried to institute a, a Pratt tax, and that was approved by voters by almost 70%. Uh, in part, voters like it because it goes on consumer goods, which in part will tax the tourists who come and take a toll on the roads. So that way, the tourists are actually pitching in for those roads and that infrastructure, um, as opposed to like a wheel tax, which would just be added to local registration fees. 
Right. Is is a Pratt tax something that uh, you you have to be in a certain area to qualify for, or how does it work? Yeah. So it you it's basically you know like, as the name implies, premier resort area tax. You have to have a certain percentage of your revenue for your city it must be in tourism related businesses like hotels and galleries and things like that. Um, Surgeon Bay doesn't qualify for that straight across the board because they have so much industry. Even though they're a major tourism destination, they don't hit that same threshold because they have the shipyards, they have some manufacturing and all that stuff. So they had to try and get a special exemption to qualify. Sister Bay has that. Sister Bay approved it and it's in place. Um, and it's pretty easy. They don't have this big industrial component to their economy. And this tax was made specifically to help pay for infrastructure needs for these places that get overly taxed by the tourism industry. So the voters approved it, but then it has to get approved by the state legislature for that special exemption. State Assemblyman Joel Kitchens told me that he he doubted that he could get this passed even when the city passed it. Um, he appeared before the city council. And he said, I'm going to take this to the legislators. I'm going to work hard. I'll try and get it passed, but I can't guarantee you it's going to happen because at the time, he said Governor Scott Walker was loath to approve any new taxes. So he's like, even if I can get the legislature to buy in, I don't think the governor will sign it. Well, since then, the governorship changed, but the Republicans still control the House and the Senate, in or the Assembly and the State Senate, and that any bill to get included has to go through the Joint Finance Committee, and it did not get through committee. He said they, they just don't really want to consider putting in new taxes, and especially specific taxes for specific areas like that, even though the voters approved it. So he said that four other communities also tried to get the same thing done, and he thought that might have hurt Sturgeon Bay and that they're like, wait, now we're going to have all these communities trying to do this. So it's back to the drawing board for Sturgeon Bay. You, you laid out a little bit about what the tax would be used for, but kind of set the scene for me. What, what's the need for the tax, and, and where do we go next? Okay, so we talked about that replacement level for the roads. Um, Sturgeon Bay's got a lot of roads, particularly, say, like Memorial Drive and I think Utah, and a lot of different streets down there that literally, like, major potholes. I help with the Door County Triathlon, and there are stretches of road that the bike course goes on where... I actually have to, I just give up. Like normally if there's like a, a hazard in the road, I'll mark it with a cone or with uh, some white chalk, like temporary chalk paint. And there are stretches of road in Sturgeon Bay where I just give up on marking because I'm just be marking the whole damn road. That it's just, there's so many little potholes and chunks in there. And we have several cyclists go down because of that each year. One, one of the times I was out marking roads, and one of the homeowners came out and just said, oh, good, they're finally fixing this. I'm like, no, no, I'm just marking potholes. They're like, well, good luck with that because you're going to be out here all day. And um, so there's a lot of frustration. And the options now for Sturgeon Bay are, there's several things they could do. They could do what, say, Liberty Grove did. And um, they did a budget override. But in a township, you can just do that at your annual meeting and just have a vote, show of hands, basically. And all right, everybody say yes. Good, okay. In a city, you have to go to referendum for that. It's got to get on the ballot. You have to approve the ballot language. So it's like a year-long process for all that. And then you start collecting the tax. And then you don't have the money for the tax right away. So then you actually start implementing changes another year after that, probably. So it's, it's a, it takes a little while. It's a lot of work to do that. So what they'll probably do is do some short-term borrowing to try and at least make a dent in it. 
in the short term, but it's still not the long-term fix. There's still going to be, you don't want to be borrowing to just maintain your roads. But the state imposed levy caps, levy limits for all municipalities. They're not allowed to raise property taxes any more than net new development. So if you're not having like net new construction of a substantial amount, you can't keep, you can't raise the taxes, even if your costs are going up. So it forces governments to like cut positions, like Sturgeon Bay cut four positions over recent years. That is the one thing that's been nine years of that. And now municipalities are really starting to fall behind on infrastructure. So I would not be surprised if you didn't see some of these municipal leaders start to lobby to rate, get rid of those caps so that they can start just doing basic services. Any other takeaways from this story? Um, you know, what was interesting last April when I asked every candidate, what would be your solution if the, if the state does not allow the premier resort area tax, what is your suggestion for a plan B for fixed roads? And basically every council candidate said something to the effect of, well, that's how, that's just got to pass. And wow. I was, I was kind of stunned by that. Cause I'm like, Hey, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, yes, I, I think it might not pass. What's your idea? They didn't have ideas. To Mayor Ward's credit, he did say like, well, the Pratt is the best option and we need to get that passed and we need to work hard to get that through. But he did say, if that doesn't happen, we'd have to look at short-term borrowing. I wanted to try and see if the candidates had even thought of that or even saying, let's do a special assessment. Let's have a referendum and vote, have our, our citizens decide whether they value roads enough to pay more, which I think that's, probably what I would suggest just because I'm like, Hey, if you want something, just pay for it. Don't like try to find creative solutions. Like if I want something, I got to figure out, all right, I'm going to pay for the TV. I'm not going to pay for this, or I'm going to cut something else. But you know, it's hard, harder for a leader to say. Well, if it was such a sure thing, then why did it fail? Well, they underestimated. They they thought just because they voted for it, um, that it would ride in. They, They thought their work was done to some degree. I think they underestimated how staunchly this state legislature is against any new spending and how much, I don't think it's too strong to say that, you know, this state legislature over the last 10 years really does hate giving local governments power. <laughs> like, even though that's like a big uh, kind of a driving ethos, I guess, of or what they want to be the ethos of like returning to local control. But really what we keep doing is taking control away from local municipalities and um, local representative bodies and not allowing them to have that, to have that say so. so. Well, Miles, you mentioned the triathlon while you were talking about the roads. And yep. we talked last week about the kids triathlon mm-hmm. uh, and how it might be the highlight of your entire year in Door <laughs> County. Uh, but the, the triathlon proper is coming up this weekend, right? Yeah. So yeah, you get the sprint triathlon on Saturday, followed by the kids try. And then on Sunday, You've got the the big daddy one of what a 1.2 mile swim, a 55 mile bike ride, maybe it's 56. I, I always get that wrong, and then a 13 mile run at the end of it. So um, that is that is the long day. A lot of those people start at seven, finish at like 5:30 p.m. Some of them finish at like 6 p.m. But we keep the finish line open. But it is a long day for some of those people out on the course. Yeah, I I went during the sprint triathlon and then the full triathlon last year to film and was just astonished by the level of athleticism on display when you go to this place. And I always, like, my first thought right away is like, wow, I can't believe they do the swim first. That must be so tiring, and then they have to do everything else. But then I realized if they did the swim last, more people would probably die. 
Yes, that would be a bad outcome. Right. <laughs> so it just, and I believe they're called Team Triumph. Yeah, my Team Triumph. Yeah, those those people are incredible, not only just yeah. for what they're doing and, and the cause, but also just the the athleticism, again, that's being displayed. Um, if you don't know my Team Triumph, uh, they are a, a collaboration between uh, able-bodied and non-able-bodied individuals um, in order to compete in these these events, so a lot of times the uh, the runners will be pulling uh, non able bodied people behind them or in front of them, and as a team they they are able to get through these races basically. Yeah, and, and that's pulling them in the water as they're swimming. That's right. pulling them on a bike. Well, and I was pushing say, them in a run. Right. I was going to say uh, I first saw them at the Door County Half Marathon, which is incredible on its own. But then to do the entire thing, all three events. On a boat, on a bike, and then the running portion of it is is just incredible from yeah. from, from every element of it. It's, it is really freaking astounding to to see people like you, you can't help but like as I'm working the course and stuff and driving around, you can't help but like get choked up and and see them like I'll I'll pull over and just be like the single guy clapping, but you're just like man that is it is so cool that people dedicate so much time and training and then even that one long day. Just to give someone else that experience, it's and it's just such a, a cool gift. And and when you see that the impact it has on those people's faces as they cross that finish line, um, to have had that experience and be part of what we all take for granted, like um, to to just be part of a normal event of what all the able-bodied people like us, like us lazy folks, <laughs> could could do any day, and they they need this extraordinary amount of help to do it. It's it's super cool, right? And uh, the the other thing too, I mean, just the the caliber of the the event, the the scope of it is is incredible. It, it's a huge undertaking. I mean, when you when you start at the top of like you know Gills Rock and go down to Sturgeon Bay for like the Fall Challenge, mm-hmm. that's you know encompassing the entire peninsula. But it's kind of a straight shot. Whereas this takes you all over the place, from the water to bike trails to a, a running course. It's you you get to see so much of the county. It yeah, from a participant standpoint, you just see such a wide swath in like these rural places out in Sebastopol that you might never see. But then you also you think of what it takes to do that. And Sean Ryan, the director, does an incredible job organizing all of this. And he really loves his manuals and he and it's a good thing he does because you need every detail in there to pull this event off. But you know, the team that he's assembled, the help and the coordination with the public safety, the police officers who man the intersections, the uh, firefighters who help out and assist, the lifeguards and Door County Medical Center that takes care of people at the finish line. If you get a hot day, they're going to get slammed with so many people for, with uh, heat stroke and dehydration. And they do such an amazing job taking care of them. The number of lifeguards. So you see it triathlons every year. You'll see events where people die competing. I think we just had three in Wisconsin in the last six weeks. Um, Sometimes those, almost always, those are the result of kind of a pre-existing health condition. Um, But I'll knock on wood right now, but we've never had something like that at the Door County Triathlon. And in part, it's because of that public safety department and all the work that goes into it and the lifeguards that we have and, and the details that Sean takes care of in planning this event to make sure that it's safe. Um, you know, just it, with the kids triathlon, we go over the top on the number of lifeguards because, you know, you want to give them a safe experience and heaven forbid anything ever happened to a, a child in this race, let alone the adults that 
it's a big open, that's big water. It's open water and sometimes there's big waves. Um, we've erred on the side of caution in canceling parts of the swim portion before um, just to to be overly cautious. But it's uh, it's amazing how much of the community comes together. And then Door County YMCA provides hundreds of volunteers who come in and man intersections and help people finish and help with the kids try. So it really is, there's just so many parts of it in the middle of the summer, peak season in Door County that this thing gets pulled off. Right. Well, and the, the variety of the people competing too is incredible. Oh yeah. I mean, you see that in, in pretty much all of the events up here in Door County, just because of our, our broad demographic that we have in terms of age range. Uh, but like, I think that they start, I start, I think they start with the oldest competitors first and then move their way down in the age bracket because I believe people are are launched out into the water based on age and gender, right? Yeah. They go back yeah. and forth. But, like, they'll start and they'll be, like, in the 95-plus category. <laughs> and then you'll see a wave go out and then it's, like, in the 90 to 95-plus category. It's, like, they just keep going all yeah. the way down. And it's not just, like, one guy going out. It's a, a huge percentage of people who are competing well past their 50s and 60s. Yeah, there's there's an amazing, like, Sarah Falk Peterson, he is, like, 70, 71, and still, like, wins or, like, places in the top five in the sprint try, like, every year. He, he's in incredible shape. I, this guy who lives in Egg Harbor um, who helps with a lot of these events, too, but he's just, like, if, if I could have one day where I'm even close to competitive with him, that'd be pretty remarkable, and he's 30 years older than me. And just um, learn a couple shortcuts. Yeah, right. He'll get there. Um... But yeah, it, there's the the difference in age ranges in um, just body makeup of some of these folks. Like there are people who are like, that guy's not an athlete. And they're like, oh my gosh, he just killed a, a half iron. How the, how the heck did that guy do it? I need to do something with my life. You know? right. I've done a marathon before. The A half iron still just seems so daunting to me. Um, my niece is taking part in it this year and she's 21. I don't know how she's found the time to train while being like a junior in college. Like I certainly was not in any shape to, to train for something like this. Right. Um, I would have used that time for much lesser importance of things. Um, but yeah, just like the, the, that wide swath of people, because that run course alone is no joke. That 13.1 mile run takes you up Harbor Heights road in Egg Harbor, which is a long, grueling, slow climb. And then it also takes you up Bluff Pass, which is basically like, you cannot run up that hill. You, even the most fit guy is basically like crawling at that point. And that's halfway through the run course. So you're, you're just, you've done your swim, you've done 56 miles on the bike, you've done like eight miles of the run, and then you hit that hill. And then you have a straightaway where on a hot sunny day, it is just open road with the sun blaring down on you. So, I mean, the, the hardest part is really at the end. And so it's, there's nothing easy about that course. Well, about a year ago, we talked to Jackson Parr because he used to run try or compete in triathlons, yeah. uh, and and win them. Yeah, and we talked to him for the podcast, uh, and I asked him like how how he did it, like what his his uh, game plan is. And he he said, first off, I need to get out of the water because he said the water portion of it is the hardest part for him. Uh, but then once he's out of the water, he said it was fine. And I was like, okay, but what about when you get towards the end of the run? Like you got to be exhausted at that point and he was like I am but I take it one step at a time literally like I will look out and I'll say okay I've just got to make it past that tree and then I get past that tree and I go okay I just got to make it past that mailbox and he would just keep doing that until he markers yeah and it just it's the same way like when you're a kid and you were coloring things in a lot of times I would like just 
I'd draw a line and then color a small part and then draw another line and cover, color another small yeah. part because you're just slowly making that progress. And it's the same thing. Just take it one step at a time. As coloring books. I like that. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah, if, you can, if you can finish a coloring book, you can finish a triathlon. Yeah, simple. Uh, anything else about the triathlon before we move on? Uh, no, just to say that uh, Bayshore Drive, if you're going um, down County G toward Horseshoe Bay and Egg Harbor, that's going to be pretty slow sledding. So unless you have, unless you're going to the triathlon or you have a house or a business down there, I would avoid that stretch. Um, Village of Egg Harbor, you'll be fine. There, there's going to be some traffic delays and stuff just because people run through there, but everything's open. You're going to be able to get wherever you want to go. If you're smart, use Church Street. You can sling right through there. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it's just that one stretch where you're, you're going to have some tough sledding traffic-wise. Cool. I want to take a break, but before we do, just a very quick plug. So we've been talking about the high water level for yeah. a couple of weeks now. Uh, there is a, a new article in this week's Pulse about it, but we also put together a short video explainer. So if you want to see a video of the high water and where it's, you know, lapping up onto shore and flooding properties and moving up over the top of docks and stuff like that, we were able to capture some really cool images over the last week uh, and put them together in kind of a quick 50 second or so explainer. And you can find that on the Door County Pulse Facebook page or on doorcountypulse.com. We'll post it all up on there. Uh, really interesting to see how high the water actually is. Yeah, if you're one of those listeners who is out of town when you listen to the podcast or on your way up here, like it, it is a, uh, it's pretty startling. You basically have to doggy paddle to Malibu Moose now in Fish Creek. Um, if that, back behind the bayside, the water is coming up over the the boat launch and into the parking lot, and and that's happening all over the place. It's wild. Right. Well, and when you think about, like, 2013, right, it was really low. Yeah, the lowest ever. But even, like, there's some shots in the video that compare this year to last year, and even in the last year, the difference is pretty startling. Yeah, it, there's some really cool images on that. All right, so let's take a break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about Fish Creek. There's some cool things happening there in terms of the, the beach and the power lines and uh, and how Fish Creek is, is changing this year. So we'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll hit that. They call themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Nankin Island, worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. All right, we are back. So, Miles, what's going on in Fish Creek? Uh, nothing, nothing much at all. Yeah. Uh, last time I drove through, uh, I saw that there was at least, you could see beach. You could see beach again. Because yeah. I remember like a month ago you'd drive through and it was just all broken up stone. Yeah. So Piles of stone and dirt. Progress is being made. Is it, is it behind schedule? Because I feel like I remember before it all started, they wanted to get things open at least by 4th of July-ish, right? They did, and you are correct. It is behind schedule. They had some hang-ups, I guess, with um, the county planning department, asked them to make some changes late in the game from what uh, town chairman Dick Scary said, which delayed things by a couple of weeks. 
So now they're looking at finishing uh, the bathroom and turnaround there at uh, around July 19th. Um, the bathrooms look good. It's like, if you haven't seen it, it's kind of startling because what they've done is take the, they wanted to move the turnaround and, and driveway portion. They got rid of the big parking lot and put in a little turnaround drop-off spot for people. And they brought that up to the road grade. So it wouldn't be that sharp drop-off. Um, so it, in in a weird way, like even though they've expanded the beach, it almost looks smaller because that kind of looks more in your face. But there is actually more beach frontage and they got to do a, a chunk of landscaping still right now because they've got it kind of fenced off. Um, but that's coming along. Uh, they've still got a lot of work to do in their like beach improvement stuff, but it's getting there. How much bigger is the beach in terms of what it was before? Is it double? I think it's about twice as big, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what it looked like because when I think of the beach, I think of it being as this tiny little postage stamp with, you know, the huge parking lot and then the green area and the playground and the docks. And, then and two port johns Yeah, then just the little beach was in there. Yeah. So, I mean, even doubling that is is, a, is an improvement. You yeah, know it should I mean? be really nice. Like, I mean, it's, it's hard to see the full effect now because the water's so high this year, so you don't even... But, like, I think in a normal year, and who knows what's normal anymore with the water levels, but... If they go back down, you're going to have a substantial section of sand beach there to hang out on, which Fish Creek really didn't have a lot of. Um, and the bathrooms look good. They're they're going to be a nice addition. There's going to be more of them. They're kind of be like a not just a beach use, but kind of like a town use now. So right. that'll be cool. Where am I going to park when I'm trying to get coffee at 7:30 in the morning at Blue Horse? Well, there's they did take away a couple of parking spots in front um, at seven o'clock in the morning. I'm sure you can park anywhere. Because there's plenty of room there, yeah, but um, and then uh, yeah, they've they've tried they're trying to get more and more people to use the community center parking lot across the street rather than take prime waterfront real estate for a parking lot, which I know some people don't like, but I totally agree with that concept. Like there's, you should not take waterfront prime property, the most beautiful property in your village, and make it a parking lot. I think that's a really bad decision. So I think they're correcting something they did wrong years ago. Cool. Uh, what else in Fish Creek? Something about the power lines, right? Well, the power poles. So a lot of people have asked, like, what's up with these big, really black, like, in-your-face power yeah, poles? they're tall, they're black, they stand out. And what they did is they replaced all of the old wooden poles. Well, not all of them. They replaced a lot of them with these that are probably, what, I'd say like 25 to 30% taller black poles that are made out of fiberglass. And I, just because they're like, they, they just stick out the the way they they're made. They they chose not to do what several other communities have done, which is bury their power lines. Village of Sister Bay um, spent the money and buried all the power lines through town because they opened up the waterfront and they were basically like, why open this waterfront and then cloud it with these power lines and everything? Uh, I think they're very happy with that decision. The village of Ephraim uh, did the same thing. They've always had an unfettered view in the main drag. They never had power lines there, which was something I didn't notice until Sister Bay did it. I'm like, oh, that's why Ephraim looks so nice. But they buried even more along the southern stretch of the town with this reconstruction project to get more power lines out of the viewpoint. Um, Gibraltar chose not to do that and just go with these taller power poles. Their hope is that over time they can eliminate more and more of the wooden ones and put all the lines on these single poles. But I'll tell you what, if I were them, I'd, I'd regret it right now because right in the middle of that beach, you have in this new beach that they opened up, they have three of those big black power poles just in the middle of the view. Right. 
If I were them, I would have at least buried it across the beach. Um, well, before you go, before you continue, from my perspective, and I'll just try to play devil's advocate. I don't know that I've noticed them too much, but for me, getting to point A to point B in Fish Creek is about trying to uh, avoid people running out in front of me. Yeah. So I'm focused on the road, and I'm not seeing the power poles. I got a feeling, come the shoulder seasons, you're probably going to notice them a lot more when you can actually see what's in front of you. Yeah, that's fair. And I and I'll admit, I'm I'm kind of weird that way. Like I notice those things. You it's hate probably, power poles. It's probably not as big a deal to 90% of people. And, you know, in the grand scheme of using your funds, like, is that the smart way to go? Um, but like, I'm the same guy who is kind of pissed off right now because they just cut down a ton of trees on my way home to Liberty Grove. I don't know why the power poles are actually set significantly off the highway up there, but they cut down a, a like basically this whole canopy of trees that used to be there. I'm someone who like cares about that, but I try not to care that much. <laughs> what if, what if they, they kept the power poles, but, they disguise them as trees. Oh, now, now you're getting the next level. Yeah, would that help? I remember reading an article about some sort of big tower that might have oh, yeah, gone right up across the street here. Yeah, and looked like a big tree. Yeah. And at first I was like, huh, that's that doesn't sound like a bad idea. You know what I mean? It's a big tower. It looks like a tree. And I looked at it and I was like, yeah, that looks like a tree. But it's sticking out of the parking lot. So it kind of yeah. defeats the tree <laughs> purpose of it. It's like it might as well, well just be a tower. But it's still better than just a tower. Like if you just put like a regular old pole and just saw like the the antennas and stuff sticking off it, it would look kind of ugly right there. Maybe we could increase the height of the power poles until they're totally out of view. Yes. Or just float them. Float them in air. Have them propellers. Like drones. Yeah. Drone power. Drone power. That'll work. Uh, um, anything else about Fish Creek before we wrap up? Yeah. Uh, so they are continuing to study the Redmond property purchase. Um, they have hired engineer consultant from Cedar Corporation to help them through the pr planning project and input process. So they are still in the process of trying to figure out exactly what the use would be, um, how to sell that to the public. Again, it's a what they have done is they secured a option to purchase the property for two point one million dollars. Well, and we we talked about this on the podcast a couple months ago, but let's let's just real quick recap where the Redmond property is in Fish Creek, and then what some of the ideas were because last we had talked about it, uh, a bike park was maybe being planned. Right. So. It, the Redmond property is, uh, that's just the name of the people who've owned it for years and years and years. Um, it is kind of behind the settlement shops as you're coming into Fish Creek from the south um, to the right-hand side across the street from Lauten Box Orchard. There's a huge 200-acre property that extends through the field where you can see it by the settlement shops. And then there's a bluff down there, really uh, kind of beautiful ridge. And then the property extends below there and kind of surrounds the Fish Creek watershed. Um, so it's a really cool property that has some kind of basic level trails in there. And Fish Creek took out the option to buy that um, after probably like four or five years of negotiating. Um, and that option is good through October. They are currently working on extending that um, so they could have more time to study this and try and come up with a plan and sell it to voters. Um, they one of the primary things like that's been kind of a, like an underground cyclist like dirt bike riding thing for years and um one of the ideas is to make that kind of like a recreational hub and have a bunch of purpose-built bike trails back there which is different than say like the sunset trail in peninsula state park 
um, which is like hard pack gravel, like a purpose-built off-road trail is the kind of thing that has like a lot of turns and hills and um, it's just groomed really well. So there's like a flow through it, might have some bridges and wooden features in there. It's relatively low hanging, low cost, um, low hanging fruit for that property as a starting point. So they might, they're bringing in trail experts to look at what they might be able to design back there. And they see that as a way to like make Fish Creek the center of this great new destination for cycling because as good as the trails in the park are, um, for those unfamiliar, those are not like purpose built. They're not like a, a good cyclist who travels to go hit trails would not come to Door County for their bike trails, not for their off-road trails. Um, they'd go to Copper Harbor. They'd go up north, Schwamagon Forest, that area. This would be the idea is to build something that would kind of be at that level. Um, then the other ideas for this property, more of a long-term thing, are securing some of it and getting developers to do some affordable housing. And then there's also talk of a couple other options with like educational centers there. So that's kind of like a broad, high-level overview of what's going on. Cool. When I when you when you had brought up like a bike park before, I have to admit I didn't think of it as like a series of connected trails. I actually thought of it as like a skate park, but for BMX. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually funny you mentioned that because we were talking about this today. And this, I was talking to Dick Scary and the guy from Cedar Corp. And one thing that I said is like you might want to change the language when you say bike hub. Like, I know what that might what you mean by that, but. Somebody else might think, okay, so is this just like a bike shop? Is this a building? Is this, like you just said, a skate park yeah, for is BMX it be bikes? Like, cement and ramps and yeah. stuff. And that's definitely not what it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder what a better word for it even would be. Cause I thought like bike complex, but that almost seems to imply that it would be indoors. Yeah. I mean, think, think state park trails, but better built and more fun. A bicycle arboretum. Yes, there you go. <laughs> cool. All right, you can have that Fish Creek if you want it. <laughs> Although, I I don't know that we should necessarily table the idea of a skate park in Fish Creek, because, I mean, there's one in Sturgeon Bay, and that one's pretty cool. That one in Sturgeon Bay is, is was designed by one of the great skate park building companies, probably the preeminent skate build, build, building company in the country, and is a really phenomenal park. Yeah, and it's right next to a derelict school, which yeah. just enhances the feel. Because, like, if I'm a kid at the skate park, and I'm, like, at the skate park, and I'm, like, oh, you want guys want to go, like, break into the broken down school? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. We'd chug Monster Energy drink. It'd be great. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I love that skate park, and I think that we we need more of them. So if, if the bike complex doesn't work out, then <laughs> skate park it is. Uh, anything else about Fish Creek before we wrap up today? Uh, no, they don't have any... At least they didn't inform me of any meetings that they have coming up or public sessions, but I think they're kind of gearing up for like a next round and maybe doing some stuff out at the property where people could tour it. So they might set up a tent out there, have some informational sessions, and then be able to walk people through it. Because if, if you're like me, like I've biked back there and I have actually been to like the Fish Creek watershed like maybe once or twice, but most people have never been back there. Right. So they really need to... Um, my advice to them was like, well, if you want to sell this, you, you need to start like showing people what that property is and not assuming that they know. Right. No, I think that that's a great, a great point. And anytime, anytime that any property goes up with, with an option to buy from any town up here, there's always going to be people 
who are vocal about like, you know, why would they buy it or all this kind of stuff or like, no, turn it, keep it natural, all that kind of stuff. But it's surprising how many people have no idea what that property even right. even is. Yep. So just to be able to go see it for yourself and then make that choice as a voter, I think is, I don't know want to say that it's your responsibility, but you definitely should. Yeah. It, it, it helps you be a more informed voter. Cool. Well, I think that just about does it for us this week, Miles. Thank you so much for chatting with me, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Andrew. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit DoorCountyPulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.